Hello, everybody, and welcome to my recap of episode three of Moon Knight. We are halfway through this story, and there were so many interesting developments in this episode. If you haven't seen episode three yet, I might tune out right now just because I'm going to be going into some of the details of what happened in the show, some discussion points, etc. And you probably would want to know what's happened, or else you'll be either completely spoiled or completely lost. And I don't want you to be either one of those things. So I'm going to give you one last chance to jump out before we go into details for episode three. Here we go in three, two, one. So last week we ended the show knowing that Mark and Steven, together in one body, are in Cairo. They're on the hunt for Harrow and Amit's tomb. We start this episode catching up with Layla, who is hot on their trail. And we also get more detail about the fact that Layla's kind of an archaeologist Robin Hood. She steals things, but it's only things that have already been stolen and are on the black market, and then gives them back to their original owners, although she doesn't mind taking some money now and again. So I guess it's not really a Robin Hood, but I don't really know what the other analogy would be. We also get a little bit of a reminder that something happened to Layla's father, who was also an archaeologist. Whatever happened in that desert is lost to the sands. It's a hard thing, exhuming the pain of the past. We know that Mark slash Stephen is mixed up in this somehow, but she doesn't, and this is something that's really going to come even further into the forefront later on in this episode. We knew that Harrow was headed to Egypt, and we see that he has located the site of Amit's tomb with the little scarab compass thing. We also get a big action sequence right off the bat with Mark, who has control of the body. He's running across the rooftops, going after some goons. I do have to say, and I think it's because of the architecture in the desert setting, I did kind of expect him to run across the Vespa gang from Book of Boba Fett, and it was a crossover I did not particularly want to happen. I also like the choreography in this fight scene, and the choreography we've seen with fight scenes on the show in general, but you have this conflict not only between Mark and these three goons, but also Mark and Steven, and I love the way that they're using the reflection. We see the reflection in the blade in this scene, but this idea that they are constantly in conflict with each other, and how it manifests in their relationship as it continues to grow, because even though we're only seeing Seeing one Oscar Isaac, he's doing a great job, at least as far as I'm concerned, at making me believe that there are two different personalities inside this one body. But are there more? Because we see this conflict between Mark and Steven, and then somebody else takes over the body. Mark says it's not him. Steven says it's not him. The assumption is maybe it's Konshu, but we haven't seen Konshu take over the body yet. You're the one going on a killing spree. I didn't do any of this. Me neither. It's really kind of left unresolved. And I think that this is a big question maybe that kind of gets buried in this episode is, is there a third personality lurking somewhere inside of this body? And I will remind you, as I said last week, I'm not coming at this from a base knowledge of the comics. I'm enjoying the show as it goes. So I I'm not playing coy here. I legitimately don't know if there's a third personality. Some of you may know the answer to that. Maybe it's yes, maybe it's no. But I think for me as a watcher of the show, as it's going, it's a really interesting question because who took over the body? They seem to be an even more ruthless killer than Mark. He seemed even aghast at what was going on a little bit. Is this setting up even more conflict? Is there a third person lurking deep down in the recesses of this brain somewhere? I also have to say it's kind of a boss move from this last goon standing who's being held over this cliff to just like cut the rope and just fall. Praise Amit. Okay. 
listen, he's obviously not fighting for a great cause, but if you're going to go out, and let's be honest, the guy probably was going to go out, that's not a bad way to go. I think you're going to be talked about by a couple of people. So obviously things are getting very serious. There is a very real possibility that Amit is going to be raised soon, and so Khonshu takes a drastic step, and this is something that I loved about this episode, is it really shows you for the first time exactly the kind of power that these Egyptian gods can wield in order to summon the avatars representing all of the Egyptian gods that are still around. Khonshu causes a full solar eclipse. We're talking in the path of totality here. And I love this demonstration. I mean, this is Thanos-type power that's basically being kept in check by willpower and some sort of a code. And I think it was a great visual representation of the change that Khonshu can make, even though he does pay a price for it, because we see that it is not met with approval by the other Egyptian gods. There's a big meeting inside the Great Pyramid. I love that moment where Stephen just sort of geeks out in general about being inside the pyramid. Oh my days, we're inside. We're inside the Great Pyramid again, sir. I gotta be honest, I'd be pretty psyched if I was inside the Great Pyramid. I also love that this looks like a practically built set, and I don't know to what extent this was actually constructed. I talked a little bit, I think, in the first episode about the fact that I like that they're using a lot of locations because it opens it up a lot more than some of the more green screen reliant shows that we've seen. And here, even with an interior, this looked like, even if it wasn't, it looked like a big cavernous set. This did not look like it was shot on green screen screen stage B in between Benedict Cumberbatch doing pickups for Doctor Strange on one side and Tom Holland doing promos for the Spider-Man No Way Home Blu-ray on the other side. I hope that they do one of those documentaries at the end of this kind of detailing the production because if this was a fakery, it certainly looks better than a lot of the other ones. But I really do think this was at least a partially built large set and you can tell, or at least I can tell those things. So we have this God Summit, which is basically a meeting of the avatars. They are mortal people, quote-unquote, who are on the earth, but that are representing these ancient gods. And I was watching this, and I was thinking to myself, does this strike anybody else as kind of like a better Eternals? Because it's sort of a similar setup, but I think it only underscores why I think, and I understand that a lot of people liked Eternals better than I did, but why I think that Eternals should have been a TV show. Because you can set up this mythology, and that's what we've been doing for the past couple of episodes. You don't have to rush through everything two or even two and a half hours, I liked this concept, this idea that we have these gods. Obviously with Harrow, he was at one point an avatar for Khonshu, and he's not anymore, and he's dealing with the ramifications of that. Giving this concept time to breathe and really get developed, I'm digging it in a way that I didn't really dig the concept behind Eternals. So as if Oscar Isaac's job wasn't hard enough, he now has to play Khonshu speaking through Mark, speaking through him, which could have been really ridiculous and kind of gets close to that line but again because it's Oscar Isaac I think that he really sells it do you not seek to release Amit from her tomb and it introduces another interesting concept I like which is when the gods basically say we didn't abandon humanity humanity abandoned us I was banished for not abandoning humanity unlike the rest of you we have not abandoned humanity they abandoned us 
we simply trust our avatars to carry out our purposes. And I think even theologically, that's an interesting argument. The idea that humanity was at one time on an evolutionary scale in a belief system that supported Egyptian gods, and they sort of moved on, but the gods themselves didn't die, or they didn't not exist in the first place. They were just kind of still around and said, like, that's cool, you know, we're just going to hang. We also learned that the avatars live on Earth. They decided amongst themselves quite some time ago that they're not going to interfere in the affairs of the people on Earth. The avatars that remain here are simply meant to observe. We decided long ago we did not wish to meddle in the affairs of man. But that kind of leads me to a different question, which is just how many groups of Watchers do we have in the MCU? Because we have the Watcher, who watches all of the different multiverses, and we have Eternals, who were also here on Earth, uh, who were watching over things but didn't uh, interfere. And now we have the Egyptian gods, who have also been here for thousands of years, watching but didn't interfere. Like, do they get together? Do they get together and have, like, barbecues? Is humanity like their 90-day fiancé? Are they like me and Mara, where they just get together every week and sit on the couch and just watch the train wreck unfold because let's be honest we are kind of a train wreck i guess basically what i'm saying is that humanity is the watcher's hot mess reality tv and we have the latest episode where harrow comes in to defend himself now that everybody's been summoned against these charges that he's trying to raise emit and i have seen enough episodes of cops to know what harrow's strategy is here which is that he plays it super cool super chill i was in the desert but if visiting the sands were a crime, the line of sinners would be longer than the Nile. He was just hanging out on the porch, man. He was just enjoying a beer. I don't know. This guy, I mean, I like this guy, but obviously there's something going on with him. It brings me no pleasure to tell you that this is a deeply troubled man. I know what this strategy is, and quite frankly, it works more often than it should, and it works in this case. Harrow gets off the hook because the gods are basically like, this guy didn't do anything wrong. You've obviously got some things going on in your life. Let's all just move on. And by the way, don't pull any of this stuff again, or we're going to have to get really angry here. So Harrow walks, and it looks like Mark may be kind of out of luck because he still doesn't know where to find Amit's tomb when one of the gods pulls him aside and says, hey, you know what? There's this sarcophagus by a guy named Sinfu who actually knew where it was. And if you can find it, you can probably get some clues. Unfortunately, it's on the black market. If only we had a character in the show who specialized in Egyptian artifacts that were on the black market. Oh, wait, we do. It's Layla. And she shows up just in time to help Mark find the sarcophagus and get the clues to Amit's tomb. I don't know if you've heard this term before. I'm going to clean it up a little bit so I don't get demonetized. But the term is FU money, which is basically the amount of money that you have as a person where you can just say, Basically, F you. If you ever wanted to know the definition of the term F you money, I think the answer is dealing in trafficked Egyptian artifacts at an island party where you're also staging an amateur jousting competition. Because that's where we find Anton. He deals with black market stuff, so he knows Layla, and he has Sinfu's sarcophagus at his island party lair. I think that rule number one of pretending like you're not trying to do something sneaky with a mummy is to not get caught poking around the mummy that you're there to see. Obviously, this is a very obscure rule, but an important rule nonetheless, especially if you plan to do a lot of mummy sneaking.
By the way, as a side note, because it's 5.30 in the morning and I'm extremely punchy, when I was going through the internet trying to find that little The More You Know tag, I also found a PSA from the early 1990s that is extremely entertaining considering the events of the past few weeks. Somebody steps up to you and they tell you they want to rumble. All right, now, now just stop for a second. Before you lose your head, get all crazy and toss your hands up, just think. The person that uses their head can always defeat the person that's just trying to use their hands. Now remember that. Oh, that is just... Oh. So Mark, with Steven's help, was not paying attention to rule number one, and he gets busted trying to extract some clues from the sarcophagus. And to make things worse, Harrow shows up and nearly drops the dime about Mark's whole involvement with Layla's father's death. Your husband doesn't tell you the truth. And Mark, you don't tell her because you know that if you do, she'll see you exactly as you see yourself. So of course things go from bad to worse. The suit is summoned and we have the emergence of Moon Knight in this episode. And I have to say, I still love how they're bringing Moon Knight to life in this show. The slow-mo, the kind of uncanny nature of it. It looks mystical, but it doesn't exactly look fake. I like the cape work. And again, I know that a lot of people are probably going to say there's not enough Moon Knight in the show, but the story is keeping me engaged. And I still believe that we're going to see more later on. So Anton tries to run Layla and Moon Knight down on his horse you know, like you do, but misses, and then Moon Knight throws something at Anton, which seems to maybe hit him, and he disappears into the mist on his horse, which I think means he's definitely dead, right? Like, 100%. It was great to meet this character, Anton, while we knew him, but I think we can all agree that even though we didn't see him die or didn't really find out what happened to him after he rode mysteriously off into the mist, he will not play a meaningful role in the future of this show whatsoever. Fare thee well, Anton. We barely knew you. So leaving Anton's, Mark has a chance to come clean about his involvement in Layla's father's murder and doesn't. I don't know. I don't know. He's just trying to mess with you. You know, he's trying to get in your mind. He's, you know, he's got this idea that he can see true nature of people some baloney like that which leads to rule number two which is that if you have a chance to come clean about your involvement in your wife's father's murder you should do it at the earliest possible opportunity again this is a very narrow rule but if you find yourself in that situation i really do think that it's invaluable <laughs> So they were able to get these star maps from Sinfu's sarcophagus. Mark can't make heads or tails of it, but they all know that Steven is the guy that can probably solve this in very little time, and time is something they don't have a lot of. So Steven gets the wheel and almost instantly figures out the patterns. It's super easy, barely an inconvenience. Egyptian star maps are tight. So it turns out when you put things together, it's a constellation map to the location of Amit's tomb, but it was a map that was drawn many thousands of years ago and the stars have drifted out of alignment. If only we had somebody who could literally move the stars in the sky. I remember that night. I remember every night. Well, it turns out it's Khonshu, but he's on very thin ice with the gods. He knows what the consequences of his actions are going to be, but at the same time, they cannot risk Harrow getting to Amit first. So we have Steven as Mr. Knight, and we also have Khonshu literally moving the stars in the sky. I loved this visual. Again, this idea of things moving uh, and basically moving so fast that they're like discs in the air. And again, when you think about it from a civilian perspective, if we saw that in the sky, we'd probably be pretty freaked out. But keep in mind, this is a 
society that just saw half of everybody on the planet disappear and then reappear five years later. So it probably takes a little bit more than a strange light show to get you all worked up in the head. So the stars are moved accurately. They're able to get a lock on Amit's tomb, but the damage is done when it comes to Khonshu. The gods have decided that they've had enough and they decide to lock him into a stone statue. And I promise you that these are probably already on sale from the Walt Disney Company. So great for the show's merchandising, but not great for Mark and Steven because without Khonshu, that means no more suit, no more Moon Knight, no more power, no more invincibility. The show ends with Harrow in the Great Pyramid, sort of bemoaning that this has happened to Khonshu with the other avatars. And then he has the best scene of an actor talking to a rock since Vin Diesel in The Fate of the Furious. Some really great acting from Ethan Hawke here, where Harrow's basically expressing his regret for carrying out all of Khonshu's wishes. I enjoyed dealing out pain on your behalf. That is the greatest sin I carry. But also gratitude because his pain over this has led him to where he's going to be. Had you not broken me so completely, I might never have known the value of healing. And then that final twist of the knife, which is basically, whatever happens next, guess what? It's on you, big man. Your torment forced me. I owe my victory to you. And this is what makes Harrow, in my mind, such a great villain so far, is that he is 100% convinced that he is the one doing the right thing and that our heroes are the ones doing the wrong thing. It's that great setup of ideologies and this clash of ideologies that I think is going to start paying off because we have what looks like to be some pretty high stakes coming up. We have both our heroes and our villains that have the location of Amit's tomb. We have a now powerless Mark and Steven with Khonshu locked away in the Great Pyramid. We have Layla, who seems very close to figuring out that Mark had something to do with her father's death. There are so many different dramatic elements and plot threads that are coming together as we move past the halfway mark of the show. I mean, who knows? They could probably just drop all these stories and go have, you know, Cosmos on the beach for the next three episodes, but I somehow don't think that's what's going to happen. What do you think is going to happen? As far as I'm concerned, if you're not on board with the show by now, I don't really know what else it's going to do for you because it has done so many, I think, really cool things character-wise, action-wise, plot-wise, storytelling, etc. I'm jazzed to see how the second half of this show turns out, and I'll be right back here next week to recap episode four of Moon Knight. Thank you so much for watching. If you want to see even more of what I'm up to, you can check me out on Patreon at patreon.com slash Merle. I'm going to be relaunching my podcast, all my movies, very soon, and I've got some information coming out about that and some other shows that are coming up here on the channel. I also am coming up on my two-year anniversary of launch Launching this channel and I have a couple things that I want to do in celebration of that so I'd love to have you join me here on YouTube and also on my podcast channel you can find those links down in the description below thank you so much for watching I'm going to go edit this and then go to bed have a good one and I'll see you next time bye